Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns, chatting about the Browns' offense and a 41-16 victory over the Cincinnati Bengals. Proud to be here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Thanks for joining me today. We're going to talk about the data behind the Browns' win, going one by one, and let's talk first about quarterback. I thought Baker Mayfield played really good football in this game and um you know when when baker puts together a performance like this it starts to remind you of the old quarterback the old feel and we've all talked plenty about who's responsible for that right whether it's odell's d- departure baker feeling comfortable i don't know i mean it's too much a coincidence that uh, odell was gone and, and baker plays as well as he played i mean in this game okay he's a true passer grade and under pressure, his best of his career, a 93.1 uh, pass grade under pressure. When he was kept clean, a 72.6, but through 11 of 15, 114 yards. While under pressure, again, three big-time throws. Big-time throw to Donovan Peoples-Jones. Two of those to Donovan Peoples-Jones. The whole shot on the left side uh, late in the game. Obviously, the big 60-yard touchdown earlier. And then a Harrison Bryant throw up the right sideline. Uh, under a little bit of pressure there, too, resulted in another big throw. He had four of those on the day, by far his best number in a single game. When he was not blitzed, he had an 80.4 pass grade, 11 of 17 for a buck 76 and a touchdown. And when blitzed, an 86.5 going 3 of 4, 42 yards a touchdown. We're going to talk about this a little later with Kevin Cole, who's going to be our guest. But he played well. We'll see if the data keeps going, you know, and it continues the trend of him playing better without Odell than with him. And we know Odell passed through waivers today. We'll talk about where he lands when the time comes and then put the whole thing to bed. But you should be, as we sit here, excited about the prospect that Baker can get back to the 2020 version of himself without Odell. Because that does seem to be like something that could come to fruition. It's like a snap of a finger. He was back to doing his thing the way we remember it. And it's like, hmm, maybe the burden was lifted. So... Good stuff from Baker. In the run game, Nick Chubb, a 70.4 run grade, six missed tackles forced. And again, they're a little hard on run grade. Six missed tackles forced, a long run of 70 yards, five 10-plus yard carries, 13 gap schemes to only one zone run in this game. It tells you where the Browns are going, right? Tells you where they're going. More gap schemes than ever. He ran for 137 yards, two breakaway runs for 92 yards, six first down runs, had two catches for 26 yards in the passing game. That long catch down the right sideline for 23 yards. A 76.4 pass block grade. Dearness Johnson also uh, had a 75.6 pass block grade. So good production from the backfield. Jarvis Landry in the backfield one time for that little reverse. Right, not It wasn't a reverse, just kind of a little handback counter. Uh, speed. It was a handback speed option, actually. I really wish he would have pitched that successfully or cut it up inside. We talked about it on the Chalk Talk tonight. Cut it up inside for those yards he needed. Uh, just a third or it's just a uh, third and one, so definitely needed him to get up inside there, uh, fake the pitch, get inside, and get those yards. Uh, wide receiver-wise, Donovan Peoples-Jones, a 91.4 grade. Fantastic performance, catching two of three targets. Even the target that he didn't catch was a 
the the one on the sideline on boot, which I've talked about. He he really did catch it. Just the knee didn't come down in time. It was another great effort. Could have gone for over 100 in this game. Has a touchdown. Continuing a trend of that vertical route tree receiver, very effective. So uh, I should also mention he had uh, 15 receiver snaps in this game. Demetric Felton had five receiver snaps in this game. Caught his one catch for 22 yards. He gets an 84.2. Harrison Bryant catches two of his targets, 26 yards and 82.3 receiving grade. David Njoku catches two, or sorry, has two targets, has one catch for 18 yards and a touchdown. A great catch on that late touchdown ball on a, on a really fun little nod, a, a little nod post route. That was, that was fun. Great catch on, on a great throw. Um, Nick Chubb, 76.8 uh, receiving grade, which we talked about, catching his two targets for 26. Austin Hooper catches his two for 14 yards. Anthony Schwartz catches a basic route over the middle for 15 on his one target. And then Jarvis Landry had uh, four targets, three catches, and uh, only 11 yards. And his receiving grade was a 54.2. Need to see him get healthy, get back to being the guy that we know he is. Clearly the legs are not speeding up the way he's accustomed to. So hopefully he can get healthy over the coming weeks and get back to being the member of the wide receiver group we know. Uh, you got to feel really good about, about DPJ, and you also have to feel really good about the target discrepancy where in this game, 17 targets go to receivers, 14 of those, you know, 14 of those were caught. So you know, no drops on the day. Feel good about that, and you feel good about the spreading of the wealth, which could be the the, the, the feature point of this offense moving forward is the the spread of the wealth and they're not going to overload anybody. They're going to do whatever the defense gives them. Okay. You had five consistent pass blockers in this game. Uh, you know, you obviously talk about Jed Wills back looking more like himself than ever. Blake Hans at right tackle struggled in this one. We'll talk pass pass stuff first here. They only allowed nine pressures on the day. Hooper allowed one where he missed Sam Hubbard and a one-on-one block on the third down. But other than that, Betonio had one, Treader had one, or sorry, Wyatt Teller had one, J.C. Treader had one, Jedrick Wills had one, but Blake Hans had four. So they only had in this game, again, only 21 passing attempts and not, you know, I think 45 offensive plays. They only had six true pass sets in this game. So not many true pass sets. And in those true pass sets, everybody above 70 – Jetta 70.9, a 77.6 for Treader, Teller 81.3, Betonio 81.3, but Blake Hans with a zero grade as he allowed three pressures, two hits in a hurry. Blake Hans struggled in this one. Doesn't mean his season's over. He is all, obviously an interior player being forced to play tackle. We understand that. He's doing the best that he can, and um, it's not always going to be perfect. The Browns didn't give him a ton of help. And that showed they're going to have to provide help, especially with New England coming up. Uh, as we know, Jack Conklin's not going to be back as he went on the IR, so they will need to help him. It will be imperative that they help him. Let's talk about run grades. Wyatt Teller, who gets the contract extension, which we are going to talk about in just a moment. With our guest, Wyatt Teller goes 89.1 in seven zone blocking schemes in 17 gap, 86.3, a dominant, dominant 92 run blocking grade. Jedrick Wills, 65.2 in zone and a 72.6 in gap. Played well there. J.C. Treader, a 71.5 in zone, a 61.3 in gap. I continue to think he's perpetually underrated. Joel Batonio, an 82.9 in zone, a 63.9 in gap scheme. And then Blake Hans in seven zone snaps. That's 46.1 grade. But where the Browns ran it well 
was in gap, and Hans had 17 snaps for a 76.0 grade. Run blocking from the tight ends, David Njoku had a 67 grade, Harrison Bryant a 63.4, Austin Hooper a 55.1, about par for the course. Pass blocking grades from the tight ends, again, we mentioned Hooper's 12.1. He obviously gave up a pressure and a sack in this game. It's a tough assignment any time a tight end gets a one-on-one defensive end, but that's the, the belief they have in him, so he has to show up and handle that. David Njoku in three pass-blocking snaps, a 73.3, and then Harrison Bryant, a 69.6. Look, moral of the story, I thought the Browns' offense looked more comfortable than ever, relaxed, at ease with uh, with everything going on that is now out of the way. Well, again, it's one game. We'll see what the sample size gets to. They used thank you to David Whalen again for giving us the information on motion, continuing to use high volume of motion. 35 of 47 snaps had motion. So you love that. They're continuing to do those things, playing a ton of 13 personnel. They're going to do it. You know, They brought up Jamarcus Bradley from the practice squad. They're, gonna, they're, they're short on wide receivers. Rashard Higgins only played three snaps in the game total, which tells you where they're kind of at with him right now. I mean, Higgins played as many. I mean, Andy Janovich only played four. So they have an identity. We'll see what they do and how they get creative with New England, who presents a really unique challenge as we all know, because of how aggressive they are and how different their approach is. But uh, yeah, let's just let's just feel really good about this whole thing. Feel really good about the Browns in general. Um, and 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 you know, their 41-16 win. Just like I talked about the defense, it's hard to pick apart much. The offense didn't have to do a ton. And um, I think when when you look back at it, the defense carried a lot of the burden, but the offense capitalized with two gigantic chunk plays and then some nice plays late to kind of run up the score. Got to feel good about your Cleveland Browns on both sides of the football. We'll see if that carries, if that uh, if, you know, if that carries over into New England or not. But you feel good about it right now. Obviously, Nick Chubb. The news that he is going to be out this week, trending toward it. We don't know for sure. And Demetric Felton. Those will be huge losses. Huge losses. Very tough to overcome. They could come back. Both vaccinated. They could come back. But. We'll see. It's going to be up against the clock, and that's never, ever good. And, and, and who knows what the next few days bring as more testing and tightened restrictions with testing come. Who knows who could be playing this weekend? It's, it's going to be dicey, so we'll cross our fingers. A lot to talk about, a lot to think about. I wanted to bring on Kevin Cole from Unexpected Points. He does a great job at Pro Football Focus. Let's get over to that interview with him where we touch on all of the pertinent topics, including the Teller extension, the future of the wide receiver room after what we've seen so far this year. And we do dabble into Odell a little bit too. So let's get over to that interview with Kevin right now. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. 
That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so we're going to continue to look at the big picture of the Browns offense. Gave you all the data, everything you need before this. Now I want to have Kevin on to talk about what I think are the intricate details of important pieces of the Browns offense. So, Kevin, first of all, welcome. How are you? I'm doing well. Good to be back on again, talking about the Browns. Always something going on with the Browns. Always something. Always something. Great drama up there in Berea for the... uh, for the helps our website. I'll tell you what, when the Browns are miserable, it's a miserable week last week, Kevin, and the website numbers are through the roof. Misery is Cleveland's friend for some reason. So um, maybe it's just like falling back into old habits, but that's the way it is. That's what the listen, we're talking data about website visits. We got to talk data of Baker Mayfield and Odell. I think it's easy. Okay. It's really easy to have said that Odell is obviously talented. You need more talent in your offense. You can't eliminate talent to make you better, but. At this point, Kevin, you have to say these two clearly are not good together. And it's not like we just have one game of Baker and Odell apart and you're jumping to conclusions, but there was a lot of games without Odell and a lot of games with him. And the data contrast from your, your you know, from Pro Football Focus, your company was pretty clear on this issue. And I'm just sort of curious from your end, is this the sliver of hope Browns fans should be banking on that gets Baker Mayfield back on track toward a second contract and kind of back into that franchise quarterback echelon? Or do you think, hey man, like pump the brakes. I still need to see more. I need to see Baker kick some habits still. Or or like, I'm kind of curious where somebody who doesn't dive into the Browns every single day is on the big picture of this stuff between Baker and Odell. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I know that you could probably look through the progression of podcast that we've had where it's gone from the highs of rookie season to the lows of 2019 which happened to correspond to Beckham coming into town to last season when they were going through that really tough stretch and tough weather stretch where I think we discussed like what the probability was that Baker was going to end up being that guy and I may have even been lower than you. And that's, you know, maybe more like a less than 25 percent sort of chance. And then he turned it on again and then he turned it off again. So I think it kind of just depends on where we are in the cycle of Baker Mayfield. I don't think having Odell Beckham gone is going to hurt that much. I mean, we've all seen the numbers. I mean, just specifically to get into some of it over the last two seasons, Baker's been a top five to ten ish sort of quarterback when he's played and Odo Beckham hasn't been there. And there's been substantial time for that, obviously, for the fact that he missed so much time with the ACL injury and he's been on and off even this season. And then with Odell Beckham there, he's been more of a back half quarterback. Now, it's not enough to make a definitive calculation, but the more evidence we get of that, including the evidence of the on and off on, you know, 2018 Beckham not being there and he was good, uh, Baker was good, and then 2019 him being there and it being bad, you start to think that, hmm, maybe there is something to it, especially when Baker 
was very efficient throwing to guys like Brashad Perryman as a rookie. Like maybe he just needs a guy who can run fast down the field and be in a particular spot as opposed to a dynamic weapon that you can just turn to and throw on a play-by-play basis. That's what it seems to me to be, heavily based on everybody doing the right things. And I understand, that not the right things, but the things that are expected, maybe the things that are put in the playbook. I do understand that there is nuance to route running and creating the types of separation that coordinate with with big plays like that's not I don't think let me put it this way I don't think Odell's doing something nobody else in the in the NFL was doing like I think it's pretty clear he might have done some different things but you know he's not doing any things that Stefan Diggs isn't doing or or Godwin or are these other guys who are kind of in a similar mold like I just think Baker the thing the Browns are figuring out about Baker is that he needs a certain type of receiver and tight end and I think maybe this this Odell piece was the final piece of the puzzle for them to realize the type of player that they need. And that's not a knock to Odell, and that's not a knock to Baker necessarily, but it's about, I think it's been since the, the John Dorsey era and the Hugh Jackson stuff that when Baker arrived, it's been about fitting that jigsaw puzzle together for what do we need to give Baker for him to succeed? And, and, and it's not a lack of trying with Odell, but I think it's the coming to the realization that it wasn't working that was so important. And maybe Odell forced that hand uh, in a way you didn't like or whatever, but the, the, the timing of it was right. So do you think, Kevin, that the, the puzzle of, A, the types of receivers that they need and pieces around Baker are complete, or do you think there's something still missing? Like, I, I guess what I'm getting at is, I think there's some guys coming up in this draft who fit the type of player they need. They need just guys who, like, if you're supposed to run a seven-yard hitch, you're running a seven-yard hitch. If you're supposed to run a bang eight at 12 to 15, that's what you do and you're not deviating. I think there are guys who do a little bit more. They do a little bit more off the line. They do some different techniques to create separation. And I think Baker's less worried about separation and more worried about you being in the right spot at the right time. And I think that's the last part of what the Browns have needed to solve around him. We'll see if they continue to do so. But does that feel like they're headed on the right path for that? I think so. I mean, again, when it comes to Beckham, you're way more qualified than I am to make a determination as to whether or not like what the situation was as far as what the problems may be. I know we've heard... uh, reports about the precision and timing offense and what that means using someone like uh, Beckham out there versus someone else. But I think the key is if there is uncertainty that a player like Beckham is needed or is particularly boosting Baker's efficiency, then knowing that, knowing there's already uncertainty, I think you can lean towards, well, can we use Donovan Peoples-Jones and Anthony Schwartz who are going to cost maybe a combined $2 million on your on your cap versus paying $15 million on your cap to Odell Beckham. So it, it kind of helps you make that determination and, and which direction you're going to go there when you know you're going to get such a great cost savings from those guys. And I think we're really going to find that out in the second half of this season. If we looked last week, it was really Landry and those two guys who were out on the field the primary top three receivers, Rashard Higgins was much, much further back. I think he only played on six, seven percent 
of the receiving snaps, the the dropbacks that Baker Mayfield had. So we're going to find out a lot about those guys. And I think the returns have been very good on a limited targets from Donovan Peoples-Jones. And I think, you know, the returns maybe can looked okay, I think, even from Schwartz there. And at the very least, you have to respect speed. And you have to respect that. And that can open things up for the tight end room that they have, which is deep. Well, I mean, we're going to wait till a little later, but I think it's probably good to, to jump into it right now. Uh, for the sake of having fun here, I mean, do you think Jarvis Landry is around next year at his current price tag? Do you think they say, hey, we like Donovan Peoples-Jones, we see his, his I guess with Donovan Peoples-Jones, we'll dive into him later, right after this. Do you think Landry okay. is a part of this team next year? Like, what does your gut tell you uh, based on everything we know about him, his history, his money next year? and the tie-in to his friend and how that unceremoniously ended, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think these guys are professionals, and they know that these relationships aren't going to drive too much of it. So I'll, I'll maybe downplay that a little bit as far as how things went out. I don't think it was a particularly bitter split between the Browns and uh, Beckham. Maybe there's some residual effect between Baker and Beckham, but I don't think that the organization or Beckham necessarily did one or the other wrong in this situation. And it seems to be that they came out with a solution, right? To, to say, Hey, you know what? You really want to leave. We're going to let you leave. And then, um, and it was done in a way that allowed him to become a free agent and move on somewhere else. And now it's really on him if he's going to be successful going forward. So I don't think there's a big relationship problem there. And when it comes down to money, that's really going to be the question. I mean, Jarvis has a $16.5 million cap hit next year. Uh, there's about $1.5 million that would be dead cap. So you know, my my excellent data scientist math skills tells me that they could save 15 million on the cap, which is around the same amount that they're saving not having Beckham there. But I think that Jarvis, as much as we say we can't quantify the role of someone who is really a leader in that organization, I think up and down that um, if you go down to Berea, they'll tell you that Jarvis is that guy. So I don't know how much if they want to play a little bit of quote-unquote hardball with him, but I think they could come to him and say, you know what, um, we could release you. We don't want to do that. We want you to be here, but we want everyone to be happy here. You know, What sort of money do you think you would get on the free agent market if you were going to go out there, maybe go back and forth on that sort of thing? Because I don't think $16.5 million is what he's going to get on the free agent market if he goes out there. I mean, I could be wrong. Maybe there'll be someone who'll be willing to pony up that amount, but he's a little bit past his you know, prime prime at, at this point. And maybe they can come out with an arrangement to lower that down to something more like $10 million, And then all parties are happy in that circumstance. So I think that may happen. But they definitely have leverage in their pocket of the fact that they can release him with only $1.5 in dead cap next year. It makes the decision peculiar because you're right. A lot of that communication will happen between Jarvis talking to his agent, what do you think I'm worth? And then the Browns saying, maybe we won't pay you 16, but we got another number that we think still beats what other people will pay you on the open market. So that is the thing to look at. Now, Donovan Peoples-Jones, I think I think the thing that that is most uh, impressive so far is that, that we don't know what his ceiling is still. I think he's made some plays that leave you thinking, this guy, is. it is possible that he could be a number one wide receiver. I don't know if... if if it's going to happen, it seems like an 
unlikely outcome, but I do think he can at least be a number two. I think he's headed in the direction of being a guy that is a contributing a highly, highly successful second receiver in the NFL. Uh, that kind of leads you to to think about how you address that room in the offseason. But I'm just I'm curious when you look at the numbers of Donovan, the 10 for 11 and contested catches and the vertical stuff that he does so well, where do you sit on him? As a as as he will get more chances as the year wears on. Not that he wasn't getting routes before, but I think he'll see an uptick. So I'm curious where you're at on him. Yeah, I mean, from what I've seen, and again, this is something where you've probably been watching him more closely than I have. But I think that he's filled a niche role essentially. He's been the guy who's going to stretch the field, and I think he's done extremely well in that. Could he be more than that? I mean, potentially. He had a few drops. His Rookie season, obviously he wasn't the most coveted prospect coming out as a sixth-round pick, but I don't think I've seen anything from him that says he has problems catching the ball. I don't think I've seen anything from him that shows that he has problems tracking the ball, and those are pretty valuable skills in the role that, that he's had so far. So I think at the very least he can do that. And again, maybe this just isn't an offense where you need – the quote-unquote wide receiver one type of player. Maybe if you have a field stretcher um, and someone that can be used like we've seen Donovan Peoples-Jones being used, and then you have a slot receiver, whether it be Jarvis Landry next year or whether they find someone else, and that's you know a much cheaper and more readily available type of player on the free agent market, um, where the, and you have that player and you have tight ends who can catch the ball, which they have three this season. I'm not sure if they'll have three next season, but they'll have at least two in the mix next season. Maybe that is enough, and maybe we don't have to look look at it through the paradigm of needing a wide receiver one like you would in some other offenses. Well, that kind of builds to my next question, which ties to should the Browns, because Kevin Stefanski, it's kind of not a secret here that he loves tight ends. We all know that. But it's <laughs> like he's not playing with the most athletic tight ends in the world. I mean, he's leaving... Harrison Bryant and Austin Hooper on the field in 13 personnel, and I'm talking empty all the time. He has no qualms mm-hmm. about getting those guys on the field, and they're not they're not separators, and they're not really good contested catch players. So would it be a wise strategy, in your opinion, based on what you know of Cleveland, and this is something I've been floating around for a while, partly because premier tight ends don't make as much money as premier wide receivers. Should they be going out every year and picking a tight end to try to hit the lottery on this thing, develop David, have another guy ready to go, and then like the influx of tight ends is just kind of who they are. They're cheaper, more affordable long-term, and then you kind of supplement with receivers. I just think that he loves tight ends, and he loves the the versatility of being able to be an empty one play, being you know, put in three inline tight ends the next play. He loves that. That is who he is. And I just wonder if that's a a, a wise strategy because of the the financial savings you can get between paying elite tight ends and paying elite wide receivers. And then, you know, kind of also looking at fitting it into your point about wide receivers. Maybe they don't need to go looking and hunting for that type of guy. They can just draft those guys who fit that sort of esoteric role for what they do and go about it that way. Is that a viable strategy based on what you know of Kevin? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, maybe if we step back even a bit further into the entire offense. I mean, the Browns offense, as was was reported um, many times, is the biggest cap hit offense in the entire NFL this season. And that's, of course, without Baker Mayfield on 
a huge contract. It'll step up a bit on his fifth-year option next season. So when you're thinking about that and you, then you look at the extension that was just announced for, for Wyatt Teller, they are obviously all in on the offensive line. So you could only be all in in so many places. Um, and it seems to them that what they've decided is, you know, we're going to go after the high-priced right tackle. We're going to use a premium draft pick on the left tackle. We're going to have a expensive relatively expensive interior alignment. And once you start to pile all that together, along with whatever you're going to have to pay for the quarterback, you're just not going to have a lot else to go around out there. So tight ends, as you mentioned, they are a little bit less expensive. It'll be interesting to see what they do with Njoku next year. He's playing on his fifth year option now. So do they try to bring him back or not? Because I'm not quite sure. Again, a lot of this is going to be a negotiation about what do you give to a player who's now starting to show more signs as a very young player coming out? Will he want big money or not? Or will they just decide to go back into the draft for a cheaper talent? So I think just generally they're becoming more and more comfortable with saying the receiving talent around Baker, um, maybe that's not quite as important as it is the guys up front and then the guys in back. Because again, you know, combining Chubb with uh, Kareem Hunt, that's, those are also not the cheapest combination that you have in the backfield. So, okay, okay, so building off of that, I think you have to look at Wyatt Teller's extension and try to map out some things. I'm curious, sure, kind of curious what you think this means as far as future ramifications go for anybody. Does it mean it's tough to see them, so, or, or they can maybe slot his money a little bit in the future to what Betonio's deal maybe ends. I don't know what Joel's future is, if they want to keep him around. I would love to have him be a, a full franchise Cleveland player. That'd be great. But you never know. You can only, like you said, you can only pay so many people. I mean, the deal is, uh, just kind of reading over the cap, it's 56.8 over four years, $29 million in guarantees, $16.5 million are guaranteed at signing, with a virtual lock to be earned is the balance. He has a six five five point six million signing bonus, uh, two point one eight three uh, for the remainder of the season. Uh, keep it going. His new cap numbers two point six seven seven million this year. Twenty twenty two it jumps up to a nine million dollar option and a one point five base. So I think twenty three is where it gets a little spicy, where it jumps up to fifteen point eight as a cap number, seventeen and twenty four, and then eighteen and twenty five. So. First of all, did you like the deal? I think the player's worth it, but the deal itself, I mean, things like the second highest guaranteed dollars for a guard on signing. And then I'm kind of curious if you think of any ramifications for, you know, does it affect David Njoku, in your opinion, who's obviously maybe looking for a new deal at the end of the year with Cleveland or anybody else? Uh, or do you think they might have to, like we said, restructure Jarvis to make it all sort of work together? Because Baker does jump up to 18 without even a new deal. He jumps up to 18 next year. So it might get might get a little tight there. Yeah, I think next year is okay. Um, if you look at Miles Garrett, for instance, he has only a $13 million cap hit next season. It will be the last year of Betonio's contract. It'll be the last year of J.C. Treader's contract. So the fact that you mentioned that Teller's money doesn't step up, Baker's you know, it's going to cost you $19 million, but in the in the era of quarterback salaries, that's not too much. There's enough wiggle room there, not only from Beckham's contract going away, but again, we talked about the fact that Jarvis could go down a bit. So I think they're okay. Uh, it's really going to be going forward then 
whether or not Betonio, that may be the end for, for Betonio here um, with the Browns. He'll be, I think, 31, 32 at that point. Same thing with Treader after that. They may need to restock at that point. But I think this this window going through 2022 is going to be fine. Even if they extend Baker, his cap hit likely will not go up in the short term. So they're going to be okay there too. If they extend Denzel Ward, his cap hit's not going to be higher than his fifth year option, which is a, a little bit over 13 million next year. So just a long story short, short, I think it's, this is really a 2023 discussion where they're going to have to figure everything out, which will be, you know, make or break time, even for going forward with Mayfield and others. I think if they really want to fit everyone in, including Njoku next season, it's really going to be, can they do that on a deal where they can still get them on a prove it sort of contract being that he doesn't have that much, of a track record or will he want to go someplace else for a longer term deal? They may turn away at that point if he wants, if he wants, you know, the, the big guaranteed money for multiple years. Um, but getting through next season being stocked up, uh, not only offensively, but defensively with a lot of these picks starting to age and get better on the defensive side of the ball. I think that's really the window. And then 2023 is when a lot of things are going to have to move around to figure out what they're going to do for the next five year window. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, good stuff. I want to close with this. All right. Didn't prepare you for it. So we're off the, we're off the, we're going to riff this one out. Where are you at on the Browns' fourth down stuff? Have you loved Kevin Stefanski's aggressiveness despite the poor results? I know the process results thinking is, is, uh, is a way I try to align. But do you think it gets to the point, point? this is just beyond Cleveland, but if you failed so many times, should eventually you stop doing it? Or do you think it's like, hey, man, the book says we go for it. We freaking go for it. I'm curious, like, where does the, is there a middle ground there? Or from your perspective, is it like, hey, this is the narrow approach we take and we're going to stick with it? Because I thought in the Pittsburgh game, I don't know if you recall it, Kevin, there was, a fourth down near midfield, a fourth and one. The Browns yes. had not gone for a fourth and one early in the oh, game. Oh, I recall it. Oh, I yeah. recall it. So I thought for the first time, I'm like, I think Kevin started to let the buzz get in the back of his head a little bit here. I think that's the first time I've thought all these beat reporter questions about it, all these tweets that get fired off. I thought he just sort of said, eh, you know, maybe I won't do this one. But, I mean, is his approach right? Is he wrong for doing that? And do you think it's like, uh, like I said, is it more black and white than gray that people want to think it is? Uh, I think it's certainly more black and white than gray, but that doesn't mean that it is black and white. I mean, what we have when we're looking at these fourth down decisions, and primarily these are short, right? These are shorter situations. I mean, it can get as far as fourth and six, fourth and seven if you're in a particular spot on the field and it's a particular score and all those sorts of things. But generally we're talking about more short yardage situations. What we can do, I think pretty easily is say, what, how is this team performing generally on third downs in similar sorts of situations, situations that while they aren't de facto last downs of the drive, you still can go for it on the next downs in many circumstances, defenses and offenses that are playing them in that sort of manner. And I don't think there's anything about the Browns offense where you'd say 
not only from just a theoretical perspective, looking at how well they run the ball, uh, how effective Baker can be throwing the ball in play action. I don't think there's anything you necessarily look at them and say, this is a team that should not convert well. They've been a fine team as far as conversions are concerned on on third and short. So then I think it really is just bad luck sometimes. I mean, the, the Chargers are the poster child, and Brandon Staley was a poster child for going for it on fourth down. And quite honestly, he was doing some aggressive stuff <laughs> in some of these games where really, I might not even really aggressive. have was recommended like- it. There was like a fourth and seven he went for against Cleveland in like their own yeah. territory. It got a little wild. Oh, it yeah. Worked, yeah. But it got and, wild. And that Chiefs, in that Chiefs game, he was going for it on fourth and nine. And I think they got and I was like, whoa, dude, fourth and nine. Uh, it's kind of far there. But he was converting everything. I mean, I think they were four of four against the Browns. Browns fans should know that that was a very winnable game for the Browns that primarily turned on the fact that. The Chargers were so good. So, you know, with their offense, they started the year with their offense. I'm not counting when the punter tried to try to convert one and it was stymied by the by the Raiders. But with their offense, they were nine of ten to start the season. And then on their next seven tries, they were only two of seven before finally converting one at the end of the Eagles game last week. So, you know, you could say and I think a lot of teams, a lot of people you know, pundit said about the chargers. Well, they're being smart because they know they can convert at this super high level. Well, then they went through a really poor stretch right after that. Like we just don't know that. So even if we have 20 tries, 25 tries, it still is a small amount. And to me, there's nothing from a theoretical or a data standpoint when you're looking at third downs and you're looking at how the team's constructed that tells you they can't convert these fourth downs, that they have a poor offense. So I'm still going to stick with more of a black and white here and say they should be they should be going for it. But I agree that one fourth down against the Steelers, I'm going to give Stefanski maybe the benefit of the doubt that he got a little bit, he maybe overthought the fact that they didn't have a kicker and other things that were going on in the game. Maybe that affected his decision too much. But that was certainly yeah. a play where that they should have gone for it. Um, but in his defense. I think Baker had taken three or four sacks on fourth down. So there have been some ugly results on fourth down. So I can understand why in that situation that can let it affect you. But my advice would be to continue to plow through because this is a team that has gotten a little unlucky in some of these games that they could have won. And you're just going to have to continue to press your advantage in these situations. And hopefully he will do that. All right. Well, we covered everything, Kevin. I appreciate it. Well, listen, Kevin Stefanski. Also, we're watching you closely. No more of those. Uh, yes. No yeah. more of those. Those. Uh, chicken I will situations. cancel you. you we I will, will cancel you. We're not necessary. afraid to hop on here and cancel your decision making on fourth down, man. We've gone after Dan Campbell. We'll go after anybody around here. So, <laughs> hey, we got Dan Campbell Bowl coming up. What? What? What's? Uh, what should Browns fans expect out of the Dan Campbell Lions? I know how close you and Dan Campbell have grown, Kevin. I just want to give you that platform to uh to, to warn yeah, Browns yeah. fans of what's coming in a couple weeks. Yeah, yeah. I mean the the uh, yeah the background here is I had canceled Dan Campbell on my podcast. Unexpected points by the way, if anyone wants to tune into that, uh in the off season. But then I I uncanceled him uh earlier this season where he was going for some fourth down. So I, I mean you know other than they were racking up moral victories left and right mm-hmm. for the Lions and as a Browns fan, you guys know about moral victories. Uh in the past, and they're not quite as sweet as, as the real thing. And then they had the complete meltdown uh, before going on to buy. So you know what I like about him, Dan is he obviously cares. I think his players are buying into it. I think he has a solid staff there. Uh, so I, I think they're a team that's going to come to play. I don't think it's going to be a, a meltdown like we saw a couple, a couple of weeks ago. So I think that's good. But I am extremely interested 
in this week. Um, I may, I may be a little, a little low on these, on these Patriots. So I'm, I may, I don't want to jinx it, but I'm feeling good about the Browns chances against the Patriots, despite the fact that everyone thinks Belichick is going to, you know, do his Jedi mind tricks on Baker. Well, they're going to challenge them. That's the thing is the Browns, how they handle, you know, press man challenges, beating that coverage. That's what they're going to do. And, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll get creative. They'll do some fun blitzes and they'll, they'll mug the a gaps and all that fun stuff and simulate pressures. But, I think I'm optimistic about how the Browns' defense is playing, uh, going against Dan, you know, against uh, Mac Jones as well. He's out here twisting ankles and all yeah. that fun stuff he's up to. So um, <laughs> yeah. it should it should be. Don't a, want to get into that. Yeah. Don't, don't get uh, don't get Miles Garrett started on something like that. Well, yeah, the Browns don't have a great history there either. I didn't even think of that. So you run into that. Something you, you stay around the league long enough, you either see yourself. What's it? What is it? You see yourself be. Become the villain, or I don't know. I suck at movie quotes, yeah. Kevin. We're done. We're out in the weeds, man. <laughs> Thanks for your time, brother. We appreciate it. I, I know Browns fans that listen to this pod always appreciate your perspective. All right. Thanks, Jake. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. That's a wrap on the episode today. If you missed last night's Chalk Talk, where we discussed uh, Baker and the defense and offensive line play, I think it was a really fun one to look back at a, at a great game. Go back and check that out. That will be available on the Twitch stream. We are pushing for a thousand subscribers in the Twitch stream by Thanksgiving. If we do get those, you're looking at ticket giveaways happening over the closing games of the Brown season from the OBR. If you're a subscriber, your chances increase to win those free tickets. We're pumped about this offering. Hopefully you guys get involved. Come join us. You can take your Amazon Prime subscription you probably already have or someone in your family does you all split and just give half of that to the OBR's Twitch and nothing changes for you. It's like a free membership to this awesome Browns Twitch channel. If you haven't even tried it, you listen to this pod every day, you haven't tried it, please join us. The fiscal support means the world to us. It really, if you know, if you got Amazon Prime, it doesn't come out of your pocket, which is awesome. Take money away from Jeff Bezos. Do all that fun stuff. Help the OBR continue to make great Browns content. I appreciate you listening, subscribing, downloading all the podcasts you do. It means the world to me. Have a great, great Wednesday, guys. We'll be back with our Patriots preview tomorrow. Check back in. Until then, go Browns.